Hey everybody, it's John. I wanted to remind you that we do have a Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash alien minute. Over there on Patreon, Mitch and I discuss subjects concerning movies and television and just about anything else we want to talk about. So uh, if you want to come over there, you can subscribe for $2 a month for one episode or $5 a month for every episode at patreon.com forward slash alien minute. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the Alien Minute podcast, the daily podcast where we carefully dissect the movie Alien one minute at a time. I'm Mitch Bryan. And I'm John Engel. And today we're talking about minute number six, which begins with the door opening to the cryopod chamber and ends with a recently awakened man about to sit up in a cryopod. So uh, six minutes in, we get people. We're finally getting people. Six. It took, it took six whole minutes or five plus minutes to get a person. So hasn't spoken a word, but... We got people. So, Mitch, yeah. So, we're a week in to the show, and uh, we're thinking that maybe to open the second week, we'd give our, uh, a little bit of background about ourselves and uh, why we think that we should uh, be able to, to sit on our microphone and have people listen to us talk about a movie. So, Mitch, uh, why don't you give a little background on your on your history with film? Well, I'm, I'm a screenwriter, and I co-created Batman the Animated Series, and I wrote uh, several movies for various producers. Uh, I also teach film studies uh, at the University of Missouri in Kansas City, which is where I met you. Right. Um, a former student of Mitch's, took a handful of screenwriting courses with him, continue to occasionally sit in on classes when he's showing something good. My background being, as I said, I have a degree from the University of Missouri, Kansas City uh, in the film studies department. And uh, nowadays I'm concentrating more on cartooning. I'm a cartoonist. I've written a graphic novel, continually pumping out you know, comic strips and so forth, and just trying to get ahead as an independent author. So um, and I've been a cinephile my entire life. Uh, since I can remember, I've been pretty obsessed with movies. So put a lot of thought and study into this. And Do you remember the first movie that you, you ever saw? Star Wars. It was really? Star Wars. Yeah, it's, yeah I, I'll just give that story real fast. Um, the Antioch Theater, uh, it's no longer there on Antioch Road in North Kansas City. Uh, my parents took me, I, it was probably well into the run. I was about four. Uh, so it was 78, sometime in 78, we went there, took my grandma. Um, there was a lady there, a blind lady there to watch the movie with her dog, and that's why I noticed her. And uh, she told us that she just wanted to hear the movie again. She just had been to see Star Wars so many times just to listen. Those little memories, and then the last memory I have of watching it is walking out of the theater and my grandma talking about how satanic it was. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Which I'm not kidding, and, wow. and that went on for a little while in That's my childhood. Wild. No, Nobody else bought into that, but grandma was pretty steadfast about <laughs> That fact. So that's the first movie I, I can remember seeing. I'm sure it's not the first one I ever saw, but it's the one I remember. It's the first thing I really remember at all. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I remember seeing Goldfinger uh, at a drive-in with my parents. Wow. And so I would probably have been, you know, four, three or four years old. Wow. But I, I remember uh, Odd Job chopping off sure. the statue's head with his hat, and I'd never seen anything like that. And I think yeah. that was it for me. I was sure. I was hooked forever. Well, all right, so today we're in minute six, and uh, we're inside the cryopod chamber as the crew of the Nostromo begins to be awakened from cryos, uh, cryogenic sleep. Um, one thing that I wanted to, to bring up is sort of uh, harkens back to a conversation we had a couple of minutes ago. When the door opens, 
we get a gust of wind out of the cryo chamber. Uh, blows are some robes hanging outside of the door. And uh, we had talked earlier about the papers rustling in the bridge, not having any, you know, natural reason to do so. Um, in this case, we do have a natural reason to do so, but I think that it's for a good reason uh, as far as establishing the world and, and bringing the audience into the movie. Uh, would you agree? A little wind blowing, a little texture that that brings to the ship that doesn't have any weather on it, obviously. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it creates, it's, it's an, an invisible force that's, yeah. that's creating motion, which is both mysterious and, and sort of familiar because we, we can logically infer that the air chambers are different enough that there would be a breeze when that sure. door opened up. Sure. And then it's followed by a dissolve. I mean, that's what I think is interesting about the scene. I mean, we, mm-hmm. the lights come up. The pods begin to open in a full shot where we can see almost the entire crew. And then and then there's a, a, a dissolve that moves a character who is initially off to the right, dead center into frame. Right. So we're looking at John Hurt. And obviously, we've made that shift to create emphasis about him. We can't see. We, we, we've moved in closer so we can see a couple of the other crew members on either side. But we can't see everybody. And we certainly don't see... Ripley, right? Yeah, no point in this minute. Uh, we'll talk more in the next minute about what we can see. But no, there's no sign of Ripley. There's no sign of Dallas. Uh, and we're giving them names at this point in the movie. We wouldn't know their names, I guess. But we know Tom Skerritt's in the movie, and we haven't seen him yet. And uh, it, you know, you wonder if they were trying to convince us maybe that John Hurt was going to be the main character of the movie, the protagonist of the movie. I don't know. But I, I certainly think if I was watching the movie for the first time and I didn't know who was who, I might think, well, this is... This guy's obviously the most important guy in the well, movie. Sure, we've just moved him to the dead center frame, and yeah. he's the first guy to wake up. And yeah. and we're going to spend a lot of time in the next few minutes looking at him. Yeah. And so I, I think it's safe to assume that he is, at this point, positioned to be some kind of a focus character. Sure, sure. I also wanted to talk about that the music, uh, the score on this, uh, with the, the, the pods opening. Um, to this point, we've had it, the the... Score's been pretty mellow and uh, like placed under, you know, and we were talking about cutting in and out with diegetic sound and the, and the ships, uh, the engine noises and so on. But uh, once those lights uh, swell up and, and the pod doors open, they, the score gets really big right yeah. there. And, Beautiful, lush oh, swell of yeah. music. And it's a beautiful moment. To me, that that gives me chills to watch that. I think that's a really big, beautiful moment in this movie. And uh, I don't know. What do you think the reason for? I mean, are we placing just emphasis on humanity here? Is that what we're doing? Like, here's oh, We have people now. This movie is going to be a human movie, maybe? And it's a birth moment, too. Yeah. And I think that the fact that it we've, we're moving into this sequence with dissolves as opposed to hard cuts, Yeah. again, kind of makes it soft and lush and yeah. and it all kind of builds as these characters come to life. Those receptacles that they're in look like coffins, yeah. you know. And yeah. and so there is this sense of it being a, a either a, a rebirth actually. Mm-hmm. It's not just a birth scene, but a rebirth scene. But of course we also they all look like they're in diapers. So yeah. Yeah. that too kind of That's a good point. makes it look, you know, birthy. Do you think uh this is really there's probably not much to this but uh Kane's robe is sitting right next to his pod. Do you think there's any meaning behind that? Or I didn't think... even spot that. Yeah, it is. It's sitting. Uh, his is just sitting there right next to the p- 
hot? Is that a bit of character? You think it's just convenient for the blocking of the scene that he'd be able to just reach down and grab that? I don't know. It's just a thought that occurred to me. I don't know if it has any significance or not. We have to assume, since he's the first one that wakes up, yeah. that's how it's supposed to go, right? Right. I mean, I don't know how exactly that, that goes, yeah. but... You know what? I mean, one thing that we're going to, I guess we could establish now and have to consider throughout this like deep analyzation of the movie is that Ridley Scott is a very detail-oriented director. You're not going to get a whole lot of stuff in frame that isn't there for a reason. There's a documentary on the Blade Runner uh, Blu-ray that extensively makes this point. People extensively make this point about Ridley Scott being very fastidious with what's inside the frame. So I'm it just made me wonder, like, he wouldn't put that there if there wasn't a reason, but no. I don't know what the reason would well, be. Well, and maybe it's because he's the first guy that wakes up, and everybody knows he's going to be the first guy that wakes up, and he doesn't have to get up and pad across the room to grab a, a robe that's hanging on the... Well, he's, I, I don't know. That's, he's also the guy, I mean, remember his characterization in the screenplay? I'm trying to remember his, or at least his uh, equivocal character in the O'Bannon version, he's a adventurous rogue kind of guy like maybe he's the kind of guy that just tosses off the robe and like i'm ready to go into cryosleep i don't know but uh anyway maybe it's an interesting detail and i can't believe that however many times i've seen it and i haven't even noticed yeah. that so um just going forward maybe uh think about the placement of these characters we talked about what who was in frame and in the shot and how we can't see ripley or dallas but as the characters are framed around the little wheel of pods uh, i wonder if there's any significance in the order like are Parker and Brett next to each other because they're a pair, or I don't know. Do you think there's any significance? Is there anything you could read? In I don't know that? because if we think about it as a clock face, yeah. basically, yeah, yeah. Kane's at five o'clock, Lambert's at three o'clock, right? Dallas, Ash, Ash, Ash is next. Then, Ash is three o'clock. Yeah, and then uh, Lambert, then then Dallas. Lambert, yeah. then then Dallas. We can't see Ripley, who's at. 11 o'clock. Right. I don't know. Yeah, I don't either. I don't know. Then, then Brett and Parker. Yeah. Right? Hey, if anybody's got any theories on this, let us know. But I do think the fact that we don't see Ripley initially is significant. I do too. And I think that we are ultimately dealing with a misdirect. Yeah. Focus on the guy who we think is going to be important. Get to know him better than everybody else, maybe. Uh, yeah. Because he's going to be the first one that exits the movie. True. Sure. It's the old trip trick from Psycho where you invest us in Janet Lee and right. kill her off 30 yeah, minutes into the movie. Yeah, I definitely think Psycho and that, that approach to the protagonist of Psycho is definitely something that I think about when I watch this movie and think about Kane. But uh, we're going to talk about Kane a whole lot more in the next minute, so maybe we should just uh, move on to that. All right, well, follow us on Twitter at Alien Minute Podcast. Uh, that's at Alien Minute Pod is our handle. Uh, you can also come to alienminute.com and check us out there and email us at john at alienminute.com. All right, we'll see you tomorrow. Thank you.